It's funny because uh, I will be quoting Exodus just after God provides the manna. So, praise God. Well, thank you, Uncle John, for the privilege of the microphone. <laughs> to have a captive audience is quite something and, uh, you know, it's a bit different from Facebook. Although I do like to share my opinion occasionally on Facebook too. <laughs> I'm kidding. So tonight I want to talk about loving God and obeying his voice. And if you've ever preached, given a communion, a short message, anything of the type, you'll know that God will teach you the lesson firsthand the week or two weeks or the month before you have to deliver the message. So if anything, the, the speaker gets it the hardest. <laughs> so all week, um, God's been asking me to do things and testing my obedience. You know, he's, he's not a God that he should be mocked. If I'm going to talk about obedience, i got to be able to understand it firsthand. So I may share a couple of those um, fun exercises, lessons that I went through this week. Um, but before I do, let's just pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Father God, I ask that you would carry it with power, Lord that you would send forth your word in power, Lord, that the seed would go forth and be planted into people's hearts, Lord, and that it would grow roots deep, deep into their hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, be glorified. Amen. So before I talk about obeying his voice, I want to talk about his voice itself the value of his voice, learning to value his voice. God's voice is the most valuable treasure humankind will ever have, his voice, the most precious treasure. By his words, the world was created. So his words are life and their power to us. By his words, he made us. By his words, he sustains us. By his words, he leads us. By his words, he loves us. His voice is one of the primary mechanisms by which he actually relates to us. He communes with us and fellowships us, fellowships with us by his words. It's not the only way, but it is one of the primary ways. It is the vehicle by which our relationship with him is driven. His words are the most powerful and life-changing substance we'll ever experience in our life. When you hear his voice, cling to it like it's a matter of life and death because 
It really is. His words are so powerful that Jesus says in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So everything that you see in your life, the reality that you experience now, everything that you've ever known to be true, everything, the ground that you walk on, the food that you eat, the family that you sit with, the ideas that you entertain, the friends that you have, the institutions that that you're subject to, the government, nations, everything that we've taken for granted that's been here for all of humanity, all of that can just pass away. But the only thing that will stand are his words. His words are indestructible, they're unfailing, they're eternal, they're faithful and true. And in Revelations 19, it actually says, his name is the word of God. Try and wrap your head around that. <laughs> Sometimes there are things in the Bible which when we try to apply our human logic to, we just end up going in circles. But by the spirit of God, we understand it and it implants into our soul. So his name is the word of God. By his voice, Jesus healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He called the dead to life. He healed the brokenhearted. He delivered the demonized. By his voice, he made fishermen and tax collectors drop their lives and follow him. Follow me. Anyone watch The Chosen? Where he just, follow me. <laughs> they follow him. It's awesome. His voice will revive you on the darkest of nights. His voice will strengthen you through the hardest of trials. His voice will turn your mourning into dancing. His voice will turn your sorrow into joy, your ashes into beauty. His voice is everything. Can I get an amen from the tech team? <laughs> Amen. So this is how he operates as the great shepherd. He uses his voice to direct his sheep. And I think someone preached about that. I don't know if it was you, John, a while ago about how a shepherd, you know, he uses his voice to, to herd the flock. And so the sheep, they know his voice and they follow him, as Jesus says, so he keeps his sheep from harm and leads them to green pastures by his voice. The sheep who do not follow or know his voice find themselves in danger outside of his protection and care. So what is our response to his voice? His voice is his expression of love towards us. I'm gonna say that again. His voice, God's voice, is his expression of love towards us. But his voice requires a response because it's all about relationship. He doesn't just speak into the abyss and have fun doing it. <laughs> it's about relationship. He, he expects a response. He longs for a response. 
and our response to his voice is our expression of love towards him. His voice requires us to trust and follow him. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So our response to his voice determines what value we place on his voice. Jesus said, this is the famous verse, If you love me, keep my commandments. And that word keep in the Greek is tereo, which means to reserve, to observe, to watch, to preserve, be, to be a keeper of, to keep guard, to hold fast. So I meditated on this and I thought we should so value God's voice, both the spoken and the written, that we zealously keep guard of his commandments and his words and treasure them deep in our hearts. That's why he told the, the Israelites to, to write his words on their hearts, to have his words, his commandments written upon their hearts. So that we zealously keep guard of his commandments and treasure them in our hearts so that we hold fast to them like our lives depend on them. See, the enemy will try to come and confuse us or question God's words like he did to even the Garden of Eden. He said, has God really said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's the very first, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the very first words we hear of Satan speaking in the Bible is him questioning what God has spoken. The very first thing he did was try to connect man from God's words and specifically his commands. Because Satan knew that God's commands were life to Adam and Eve. If he could invalidate God's words by questioning Eve's experience of hearing God's voice, there are no two people in all of history who walked closer with God. I mean, God walked with them in the Bible, in, in the garden, in the Bible too. But God walked with them in the garden. He walked and fellowshiped and talked with them. They were his friends. I, I can't think of anyone who had such a close experience, tangible relationship with, with God. And yet, and yet, here is Satan successfully driving a wedge between God and man by causing Eve to doubt God's words. So that's why he says, keep my commandments. Zealously guard the word of God in your heart. And we do this by, by meditating on the scriptures, the written word. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the Bible. And when you meditate it, don't just be a hearer and a meditator, <laughs> but be a doer. So then we have to practice what we've meditated 
So we need to put it into action. If you love me, keep my commandments. Meditate on them. Put them deep in your heart. Hide them up within you as, as your treasure that no one can steal away from you. And then do them. See, as a worshipper, most of you know I'm a worshipper. That's my thing. I worship. It's great playing the keyboard, singing. It's awesome. But I can tell you, if you want to really worship God, if you really want to pour out your love to him, if you want to be Mary breaking the alabaster jar, if you want to be an extravagant worshipper, the first thing you need is not a keyboard. <laughs> okay? You don't even need to sing in key. You could be tone deaf. If you want to pour out your love extravagantly and you want all the angels in heaven and all the elders and the saints to take notice of your extravagant adoration of the King of Kings, here's what to do. You ready? Keep my commandments. That's it. Okay, because you can, you can be up there dancing and, and doing flags and somersaults and all of that on Sunday night and oh so holy and then Monday morning gossiping about your colleague. Keep my commandments. That's what Jesus sees. Jesus sees what is done in secret. Obey his voice. He loves nothing more than a company of worshippers who will lay down their lives to follow his voice wherever he leads them. Whether it be into persecution, rejection from the world, consecration, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Because they're so in love with their king that they will go anywhere and do anything that pleases him. Remember in the 90s when they called us the Jesus freaks? It still applies. I'm still one of them. I got my badge somewhere. I'm still a Jesus freak. I still qualify because I'm nuts and I will do anything for him. And is it easy? No. <laughs> There's lots of flesh burning happening. But I'm so obsessed with him. I'm addicted to his voice. I need his voice like fresh manna every day. I need it to breathe and to live. And, you know, I can tell you about sacrifice. And I know this is probably against preacher protocol to talk about your deep and personal life. But whatever, for the glory of God, burn my flesh. Sacrifice. Look, when I started to follow the voice of God, truly and lay down my life I lost my career I lost my husband I lost um, all my friends literally literally all my friends best friends rejected me everyone my life crashed and burned and I had a party and watched it and said see you later because his voice I'm telling you it's so worth it it's so worth it when you hear him say, well done, I'm proud of you. You did well. Thank you. 
I'm proud of you. You listened. You did it. I'm so proud of you. There, is, there are no words that can compare to that. No words. He's looking for a company of worshippers who will value his voice far above anything in this life. And I believe that when God asks us to do things, you know, it's not always about the thing. I believe that he's testing our hearts. So our response to him actually reveals our heart. And this is a, this is a hard one. The testing is hard. Because I'm preaching about it, I was tested all week. <laughs> In Exodus 16, verse 4, it says, so context, the Israelites are freshly out of Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. Their enemies are swallowed up in, in the sea. They're all celebrating. Miriam's got a tambourine out. It's all fun and games. And then three, three days into the wilderness, um, there's no food. Or three days, I think that was water. Later into the wilderness, there's no food. <laughs> but pretty quickly, there's no food. So the Lord says to Moses, so the people are complaining. We, we know the story. The Lord says to Moses in verse 4, Behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I'm going to make it rain. Don't you worry. I will rain down bread. And it won't be just any ordinary bread. It's bread I whipped up in heaven that you ain't never seen on earth before. You just wait. It's going to taste like honey. That was paraphrased. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Wait for it. That I may test them. It was a test. Does God really care about, you know, if I got an extra 150 grams of manna? I mean, I, I track my calories, so 150 grams is not much. Does God really care about that? That I may test them. It was a test. Whether they will walk in my law or not. He laid it out for them. He made it. It wasn't a secret test. He wasn't lurking. Oh, I'm going to see what they do. No. He, laid it. he said, I'm going to test you. Here's my specific and yet simple instructions. You may only gather this much every day. And on the Sabbath, do not gather. Simple, specific, direct, not ambiguous, not convoluted instructions. It's a test. Whether they will walk in my law or not. To walk with God is to walk in his counsel. Everyone wants to be friends with God. Everyone wants to hold hands and walk in the Garden of Eden with God. But to do that, we have to follow him and we have to go where he's going. We can't go our own way. We have to walk in his counsel. So like I said, sometimes the point of what God asks us to do is not the thing itself, but whether we will obey him or not. 
He, he's testing our heart to see if we are loyal to him, if we are faithful to him, if we will do whatever it is that he asks of us. And I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but has God ever asked you to do something that sounds stupid, like that you just don't, you just don't get and you're like, God, where is that in the Bible? Come on, show me scripturally. <laughs> and he's like, silence, radio silence, obey my voice. And you got to do it. So do we listen? Do we obey him? Or do we weigh up what he's asking do we apply our own human understanding, making a judgment about whether his instruction is morally significant or not? If he's asking us not to steal something, we'll happily obey that because, you know, it makes sense. We can see the moral significance of that. But when he asks us to do something that doesn't really seem important, like an extra 150 grams of manna, to our minds it doesn't seem like a big deal. See, God asked the Israelites specifically not to gather manna on the Sabbath. They must have thought, what's the big deal? Not breaking my back doing it. It's all good. There's plenty here. The thing is, we are acting as our own master and Lord when we do that. We are God's friend, but... Before friend, we are servant. See, obedience leads to greater intimacy, greater trust. He, he trusts us more. I'm getting ahead of myself. So God is testing our hearts whether we are genuinely faithful to him, obeying without pausing to make our own considerations, but obeying in faith, believing that he is wise, way more wise than I will ever be, that he is way more good than I will ever be. So why don't I just trust and obey? See, God is very specific. You see, all through the Bible, he, not always, but... Most of the time, his instruction is very specific. And you often see he, that he's in the detail. It's important to him that we listen carefully to every detail and handle his words with care. All through the Bible, you see examples of God giving very specific counsel to men and women. And when they obeyed, and followed every word, especially the Israelites, when they were taking possession of land. They had great success when they made their own judgments and their own wisdom, when they mixed their own wisdom with God's wisdom, when they said, oh, that sounds like a good idea and then I'll do this as well. Or I won't do that, but I'll do this. Only half obeying, their exploits turn to dismal failures. So you will find that the more you obey the counsel of God, the more specific and clear he'll often be about what he wants you to do. So God will absolutely test our obedience to him 
He'll test our love for him to see, he'll test our obedience to see if our love will stand. Testing often comes through an opportunity to be obedient because obedience is the expression of a laid down life. Just as he tested the Israelites again and again and again, just as he tested the disciples again and again and again, he tested the apostles again and again and again. He was testing their love, their loyalty, their faith. Even Jesus was tested in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan, but God will allow Satan to do this sometimes in our life in order to test us. Just as God allowed Satan to test Job's love and faithfulness to God. For our love to be refined, it must be tested. For our faith to be refined, it must be tested. And when it is tested and found strong and pure, we will be able to endure to the end. And that's what matters, enduring to the end. It's not how we started, it's how we finish. We'll be able to run the race with endurance and finish well. So Revelation 3 21 says to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne and Jesus also says in Matthew 24 13 but he who endures to the end shall be saved so that faithful endurance and continual obedience is rewarded with the highest position of honor to be seated on the throne with Jesus. Can you imagine? There is no greater bliss and joy than that. I mean, I, I can't begin to understand what that might feel like. And you see, everything that Jesus asks of us, the testing, the overcoming, the enduring, he hasn't already experienced himself. Because it says, just as I overcame. It is precisely because he has gone before us and endured every test. He had every affliction on him. Everything that we've ever been through in his life, he carried. Because he went before us and he carried all of that, he endured all of that, he was found faithful and pure and worthy and sinless. He reached his great reward of being seated with his father. It's because of that, that through his resurrection life, through his spirit, we can endure too. See, our obedience and our endurance is not about striving. It's not about trying to do it in our own flesh because every other religion does that. Every other religion follows a set of rules and obeys, 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 but they don't get to sit next to the Father on the throne. They don't reach the reward because it's through the life of Jesus and it's not work. Sometimes it's hard, but it's not work. His burden is light and easy. 
It's through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we find ourselves strengthened and empowered. When we look at the Apostle Paul, who faithfully endured all affliction, if you've read about Paul's life in the book of Acts, he faithfully endured all affliction, persecution, stoning, flogging, imprisonment, rejection by his fellow Jewish brethren in order to obey the call of God on his life. He was emboldened and empowered by his intimacy with Jesus. He saw the Lord before him. He spoke to Jesus as his his closest, dearest friend. He had intimate fellowship and communion with God because he tasted and experienced the supreme goodness of the Lord. Because of that, he did not love his life to the death. And I tell you, we can all feel it. We're moving, we're moving in, in God's timeline. We're in the end times. We're moving. I don't know how far we are. I don't know. I'm not into all that. But all I know is that it's, it's one way. There's no going back. We're going forward. That's all I know. I don't know how far we are, but we're going forward. And it's, it's before us. And we're not looking towards the doom and gloom. We're looking towards the joy that is set before us. And we're going to need this Apostle Paul-like intimacy with Jesus to be able to glide through everything that is coming, everything that is prophesied. We need that intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit to be able to endure, to be able to obey his voice at any cost so that we don't love our lives to the death. We, and I say we because I include myself, I'm not there. I'm learning it. I'm learning it. We need to come to a place where we're so transfixed by the beauty of Jesus before us, where we actually set the Lord before us every day and behold his glory, coming to partake in intimate fellowship. Psalm 16 says, I set the Lord always before me. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. When trouble comes, Memorize this verse. When you're having hard times, when persecution comes, when rejection comes, when the cost of following Jesus becomes so great, say, I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. This is my strength. This is my hope. This is my joy. If we make this our highest goal to set the Lord always before us, to lock eyes with him and never lose focus, our position in heavenly places will never, ever be moved. When we are freshly filled with manna every day, like Rose was talking about, where we fill up our buckets with oil from Matthew 25, like John preached about, when we taste and partake of life himself, 
Then we'll be able to let go of every notion of pride, of comfort, of independence, of individual rights, of reputation. I don't know where um, modern church got this idea of rights and, you know, entitlement. Like, no, when we come to Jesus, we lay down our life and pick up the cross and follow him. We lay down it all. We can joyfully let it all go, step into the freedom of laying down our lives in faithful obedience to the one who gave it all for us. He is the great, the pearl of great price. He is worth every sacrifice. He is worth every persecution. He is the joy set before us. He is our eternal reward. We do have an eternal reward that waits for us in heaven, but the reward of obedience that we receive today, the fruit of what I call abiding obedience, is intimacy. When God gives you instructions, when he asks you to do something and you obey, you're gaining his trust and he takes you deeper into his heart. He trusts you with bigger pearls, more expensive pearls. You hear his voice clearer. You're drawn into deeper intimacy with him. And, you know, I want to say also intimacy is not just about those precious hours of time that you spend alone with the Lord in, in your prayer closet or on your prayer bushwalks or whatever. I love that. I do. But I'm a mum with a, like, very energetic toddler, very energetic, who sometimes doesn't sleep at night. And, you know, this has really brought a fresh perspective about intimacy. I don't know what your life looks like, whether you're caring for people, whether you have, you're locked down in a house with 15 crazy people. I don't know. Quiet times, endless hours might be difficult and they're so important, but it might not be your reality right now. And I get that. Intimacy with God is to live and move and have our being in him. It's to be yoked with Jesus. Wherever we go, he, wherever he goes, we go. Whatever he does, we do. Whoever he loves, we love. Wherever, whatever moves his heart, moves our heart. Wherever God leads you, whatever he's leading you to do, it will be fruitful. And yes, the fruit you might see is salvation and deliverance and discipleship and all manner of things, but sometimes you don't see any of that. And that's okay because your obedience is sowing in the spirit. And what you're sowing is righteousness, you're sowing in intimacy, you're sowing in union, you're increasing in wisdom and understanding, you're increasing in spiritual sight and hearing, you're making waves in the spiritual realms which you may not ever see the effects of until we reach heaven and God turns on the TV and says, look, look what happened. I can't wait for that day. 
you're pleasing the Father and it blesses his heart. And that's the best fruit ever. That's the biggest, juiciest fruit you're ever going to have is when you bless the Father's heart and you make him smile. And I'm reminded of like the, the prophets of the, of the Old Testament who, um, you know, God would call them and, and ask them to do really hard things like, like Jeremiah. Ask them to do really hard things. And you know what? They didn't see the fruit of what God asked them to do. They didn't, they didn't see it. But it didn't matter because it wasn't the point. The point is that they obeyed and they pleased God. That's the reward, pleasing God. So I want to encourage you that, you know, God is patient and he is long-suffering. He is kind and merciful. And he patiently waits for us to obey him, to follow his call. I mean, I think about Jonah, who was like, no thanks, not for me, see you later, I'm going to be a receptionist, see ya. God was patient with him. He was patient and long-suffering, that's what love is. He was long-suffering. And yes, he got swallowed by a whale, but he was long-suffering and he made it out of the whale. So sometimes we get corrected and disciplined for not obeying, but we make it out of the whale. So we definitely don't always get it right, like Jonah. <laughs> I'm smelling fish now. It often takes us many attempts to fully obey his instructions. It takes practice. Like my two-year-old son, it takes practice for him to be obedient. It takes time for him to learn that there are consequences to disobedience. Yes, I believe in discipline, sue me. So, it often takes us many attempts to fully obey his instructions, but you know, he's our shepherd and we have the Holy Spirit who is our counselor and our teacher. He will guide us, he will train us, he will teach us just as he patiently did with those unruly disciples who later became great apostles and martyrs for Jesus. So God is cheering us on and I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be stirred to say, yes, Jesus. When he comes on his white horse and he says, will you ride with me? Anyone know that Lyndall Cooley song? <laughs> it's a great song. Let's say yes. Yes, I'm going to go on this crazy adventure with you, God. Whatever the cost may be, whatever may come, yes, I'm going to ride with you, God. I'm going to ride with you. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, I just ask right now, I just release this anointing over the listeners, over the people listening right now. I release the Holy Spirit to empower and to embolden people to say yes to your voice. Whatever it is that you're calling people to do, however hard it may be, however uncomfortable it may be, 
Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would send your fire, that you would baptize them in fire, Lord. Give them boldness. Turn the souls into Paul's, Lord. Turn the Simons into Peter's, Lord. Give them boldness, Lord, whether it's calling them to preach in the streets, Lord, whether it's calling them to, to pray for those who need it, Lord, whether it's calling them to the broken and to the lost. Give them boldness and fire to do it, Lord. Lord, that they might have visions of you standing before them with eyes like flames of fire, Lord, where they become transfixed by your beauty and your glory, Lord, and they would never be the same. Father God, send your Holy Spirit transform people lord that they would no longer be people who would sit on the fence or um and ah but they would say yes lord whatever it is i'm running after you i'm doing whatever it takes lord because i love you lord stir up the flame of love amongst your people lord stir up the flame of love amongst your church lord Make us into a company of worshippers and believers who will lay down our lives, who will not love our lives to the death, Lord, because that's what you need in this hour, Father God. Stir it up, Lord. Stir it up, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, if if you want to respond to the call of God on your life, if you want to respond to the hard things maybe that God's been asking you to do, wherever you are, just just pray to Him now. Just tell Him now. Tell Him, yes, Lord. And the Holy Spirit will fill you with all peace and joy. The Holy Spirit will fill you with boldness and fire. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord.